From The Simpsons to Letterman and how she survived the male-dominated writer's rooms, veteran comedy writer Nell Scovell joins the show. Everyone says the right things. Nobody comes out and says, yeah, we're sexist. Yeah, we're racist. That's why we don't have women and people of color working on our shows or at high levels on our staff. But the trick is moving from awareness to action. Plus, our huge summer movie preview. This is Pop Culture Confidential. Hey everyone, I'm Christina Yerling-Biru, and this is Pop Culture Confidential, a Spotify original. So glad to have you with us again, and for you, my fellow pop culture vultures, I have a great summer reading recommendation right here in the form of a new memoir. She's one of the most successful women in television, comedy, writing, and producing. Nell Scovell has written for Murphy Brown, Late Night with David Letterman, NCIS, The Simpsons, Charmed, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and so many more. She co-wrote Sheryl Sandberg's huge bestseller, Lean In. She's written jokes for President Obama, for Hillary Clinton. And now she's stepping out from behind the scenes with her new memoir, Just the Funny Parts. Later on the show, I talk to Nell Scovell about her book. We talk about her career, Gary Shandling, The Simpsons, and her experiences of often being the only woman in the writer's room. Scovell writes about some very uncomfortable truths about the industry and how she works hard for diversity and change. But first... This year's movie blockbuster season kicked off explosively last week with the premiere of Avengers Infinity War. Joining us with a preview of what we can expect this jam-packed summer season, some other festival tips and Oscar season buzz, once again, Mark Johnson of Award Circuit. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. I'm happy to join you. Thanks for having me. So the summer season seems earlier than usual, right? But um, what should we not miss this summer and what will rule the box office, do you think? Um tough to say right now what will what will will the box office my guess would be um if we're counting the avengers this weekend uh if if not then i think you have the jurassic park film coming out um the mission impossible sequel so a year of you know a summer of sequels as we're pretty much used to over the past decade um i think those two will be probably toward the top of what you can you'll probably see at the box office uh of course deadpool too the Incredibles too. So again, sequels. Right, right. I think those all. Uh, Ocean's Eight, which I don't know if you would consider that a sequel or a kind of a reboot, maybe. Yeah. Because that's the for those who don't know, that's like a a gender swapped reboot. So they're all women, right? Right. And then of course, uh, and maybe what will take the top prize? Who knows? Is uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, Star Wars films tend to do pretty well. Let's talk about Solo. What? What? Tell me a little bit about that movie. So it's a uh, origin story for my favorite of the Star Wars <laughs> characters, uh, Han Solo, and uh, I think we're going to get to see him meeting Chewbacca and Lando Calrissian, and uh, it's Ron Howard who you know took over directing the film in the middle of uh, kind of a uh, heated production. Um, but Donald Glover plays uh, Lando. Alden Ehrenreich, I believe is how you say his name, is, is the young Han. And of course, Clint Howard will have his regular cameo that his brother allows him. What do you think? Well, what do you know? You got a line on a ship? 
Yeah, I know a guy. He's the best smuggler around. I heard a story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true. Whoa! <laughs> L3! Let's go with a mean man's face. Who are these guys? give you some advice. Assume everyone will betray you, and you will never be disappointed. I got a really good feeling about this. Since when do you know how to fly? 190 years old? You look great. Why did they, they change directors midstream? I believe, for what I heard, if I remember correctly, is uh, creative differences. The screenwriter was upset that his script was kind of taken off par. Uh, they they were doing things kind of ad hoc from it. And who were the directors? Phil Lord and Christopher Miller right. are the are the two. But yeah, the the screenwriter is the guy who did uh, Empire Strikes Back, if I'm not mistaken. It's mm-hmm. um, Lawrence Kasdan and his I think it's his son Jonathan. They wanted to stick closer to the script than I, uh, the original directors would. So just mid-production, they pulled the plug on the directors, and Ron Howard was uh, put in place to, to complete the film. So we'll see. Uh, right. I'm, I'm really nervous because I want it to be good. Again, Solo is my favorite. And, uh, you know, so I'm ca- cautiously optimistic, I guess. The rest of the cast, Andy Newton, Paul Bettany, and Woody Harrelson are also in it. So it's got a good cast. and. And how do you feel as a huge Star Wars fan about Ron Howard? Um, so it's been a while since he's really done anything that I've loved. So we'll see. I, I'm i kind of holding out that it's good. But I, if you asked me to bet right now if, I, if I'll if i be pleased with it or not, I, I'm, I'd probably tell you I'm a, I'm a little worried. Okay. I'll just say that. <laughs> okay, well, I'll keep my fingers crossed. I like Ron Howard. <laughs> I do I love Ron Howard from, you know, in the ni- you know, mid to late 90s. It's just it's been a while since we've really seen him put out anything that was so great. You know, right, the, right. I'm a huge fan of the um the Robert Langdon's books Da Vinci Code uh, right. by Dan Brown, you know that with Tom Hanks that Ron right. Howard has directed and and those have been kind of a train wreck, uh Angels and Demons and whatnot. So, uh yeah, we'll see. Anything's possible. And it's been 14 years since the first Incredibles, and now Incredibles 2 is coming. What do, what do you think about that? I think the Incredibles might still be my favorite of the Pixar world, um, so I'm really excited. I, it's kind of been a long time coming on this one. I think ever since the movie came out, people have been assuming a sequel because action superhero family movie. You know, it's kind of the typical one to get a sequel. I think we were all kind of surprised when Fighting Nemo got the sequel before. Right. Uh, incredible. So we'll see. I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm and again I'm hopeful and I'm sure at the very least it, it, it's going to be fun. And what other movies are you looking forward to? Um, Hereditary. That's maybe uh, my my big. At least at this point, that's probably the the film I'm looking forward to most this whole year. That um, looks that's the creepy. One that, Talk about that. Yes. So yeah, that that premiered at uh, Sundance, and it's supposed to be you know, one of the scariest movies ever made, as they always tag these movies with but tony collette who i have long loved probably since you know since the sixth sense uh is said to give an absolutely incredible performance i have her in my predictions for best actress this year really for a horror movie yeah and i know that's a long shot but i think when you look at something like black swan 
which maybe isn't a horror film, but it's a genre film of sorts. Um, I think that can set the the precedence that it that it's got a shot. It's grandma. You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you're a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. She was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. I recognize you from your mother. What? Sometimes I swear I can feel them in the room. Who's gonna take care of me? You don't think I'm gonna take care of you? But when you die. She wasn't altogether there. At the end. I know it got really incredible reviews out of Sundance and again, Tony Collette, you know, those two things combined. That's, that's the one I'm looking for the most. It's uh, out June 8th. Uh, and actually the same weekend, the, my number two film that I'm looking forward to this summer uh, is out, which is won't you be my neighbor? The documentary on Mr. Rogers, which I don't know how popular that was in your part of the world a couple decades ago, but growing up in the eighties, I, you know, the early eighties, I was a, I was a huge fan of him as a child and, and I, you know, just a wonderful man. And I can't wait to see this documentary. Yeah. yeah I grew up in the States in the early eighties. Oh, so okay. for me, okay. It, so, you it, know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to just learning more about the guy. You know, I, I know him as Mr. Rogers, uh, you know, but I don't know a lot of the things he did. You know, I was too young to realize what he was doing, you know, on his show with some controversial, uh, ahead of his time messages around, you know, race and uh, sexuality and other things like that, divorce, as, as you see in the trailer. So, you know, I, I know a little, but I, I'm really excited to just learn about this guy that I grew up kind of worshiping and, and looking forward to, to watching every day. I, I was a huge, you know, probably like you, because we, you know, we get into things like movie writing and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. podcasts because we're creative people. So the land uh, make-believe was like, you know, every, it was everything. I had my own land to make believe in the backyard. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I just huge fan. I can't wait to see that one. Um, but I'm looking forward to Sicario sequel as well. Uh, if there's one, if there's one sequel I'm really excited about Sicario. I know Emily Blunt not being in it kind of is rough, but I love Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin. And I'm, I'm really, really, I'm a big fan of the first one. And I'm curious to see where they take the story uh, from there. Eighth Grade is another you know, smaller one that played at Sundance um, that should be, you know, funny and heartbreaking, it seems, uh, from the trailer about a teenage girl trying to get through eighth grade and meet the pressures of, like, social media and things as she goes into high school. There's a few. And, and honestly, the mission, a few of these big sequels like Mission Impossible and, and Jurassic Park, I'm definitely curious to, again, see where they take that, those stories. Uh, you know, as big fans of the original. And I and I think we have to mention the Happy Time Murders. Oh, have yeah. you heard much of it? Oh no, my gosh! Again, <laughs> again, growing up in the eighties, mm-hmm. uh, we had Mister Rogers, we had Sesame Street, we had the Muppets. Right. And this is basically a uh, spin on you know a, the puppet cast of like a, a show like the Muppets getting knocked off and murdered one by one, and uh, a police detective having to take on the case. So it kind of merges those two worlds. And it's like Melissa we McCarthy. Saw for yeah for, yeah for loyal listeners of my show we had um bill beretta on two weeks ago who is the puppeteer um from the muppets who's actually the puppeteer on this movie because he talked about that this is his next project oh that's awesome yeah I, I can't wait to see it it looks 
It looks. I, I'm assuming it's going to be like a dark comedy, maybe. Right? I mean, it seems he says, like they would... he said it was super R-rated. <laughs> oh, yes. that's good. Yeah, yeah it could so be fun. So don't bring your kids. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So lots, lots to be excited about. What What do you know about the new Spike Lee movie? Black Klansman. Black Klansman. Yeah, honestly, not much. Um, I'm sure it will be interesting and it will be controversial. It's you know Spike Lee, who a big fan again of his early work, uh, Do the Right Thing, one of my you know favorite movies of that you know late '80s, early '90s era. Uh, I still quote that movie all the mm-hmm. time when I'm correcting my children. But uh, you know, I don't know. I'm a little nervous about it because. We'll see how controversial it gets versus how well it's you know put together and performed. So holding out hope for it. It's about an African-American man who infiltrates the KKK, right? Yes. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So you're worried that it'll be too – or not worried, uh, but you're – Yeah, not worried. Just I, yeah, I mean a lot of Spike Lee's films you know, lately have kind of been – I, I don't know how else to say that than just a little controversial and, and sometimes, you know, it takes away from the story a little bit sometimes. Before I let you go, um, do you have any early Oscar buzz? I do. <laughs> yes, good. Yeah, I have a I have a few movies that I'm keeping my eye on. I think the big one for me right now is Widows, which is Steve McQueen who did 12 Years a Slave. Um, his movie's got Garrett Dillahunt, Carrie Coon, who... Is my high school buddy, uh, Liam Neeson, John Bernthal, Colin Farrell, Daniel Kaluuya, Michelle Rodriguez, Viola Davis, Robert Duvall. It's got you know, Jack Weaver. Huge, huge cast, right? It's you know the the synopsis is uh, it's set in contemporary Chicago amidst a time of turmoil. Four women with nothing in common except a debt left behind by their dead husbands' criminal activities take fate into their own hands and conspire to forge a future on their own terms. So. I think you know it's it's written by Steve McQueen and Jillian Flynn, who did Gone Girl. Oh right, she has mistaken, lots right? of so, stuff this year. Yeah, yeah, HBO right. series. Yes, mm. right. So yeah, it, between the director, the screenwriters, the cast, um, I think to you know this is going to be a a good film for you know lately the women you know a lot of a lot of conversation around uh, women and and getting movies made that speak to women and minorities and this kind of does both. So it's I think it's going to fit the zeitgeist in a strong way. And again, lots of strength around it. Um, the other two movies I would just mention as well is First Man, which is the Damien Chazelle who did La La Land and Whiplash. He has a movie, I think it's John Glenn with Ryan Gosling um, in the in the title, in that role. Right, an astronaut uh, or, movie. Yeah, is it, it's either John Glenn or maybe it's Neil Armstrong. I think it's, it's Neil Man. Armstrong. Yeah, I think it's Neil Armstrong as well. Yeah, it is. My bad. Uh, but yeah, it's, I love La La Land. is probably my favorite movie of the decade, I would say. So I, I And I really loved Whiplash, too, so I can't wait to see what he does again mm-hmm. uh, with this one. And, uh, and then The Irishman, of course, because anytime Martin Scorsese makes a movie, you have to you know, keep that high on your list. Now, the question for that is, will it get released in time? And he's, you know, his last few movies have all played it down to the wire, but they've still been made on time and um other than silence he his track record for nominations is pretty darn strong as of late there's lots of other you know movies right now on paper that look really uh like contenders there's lots right now. everything looks like a contender at this time of the year it's uh that's we'll see how the summer 
treats some of these films that might get released at that point. And uh, by September, when Telluride rolls around in Venice, we'll we'll start say, you know being able to separate some of the contenders from the pretenders, as we say. And uh, you know, like like always, it should be a fun a fun race. Mark, thank you so much for talking to us again, and I look forward to talking to you after Telluride. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on again. Thank you so much to Mark Johnson of AwardCircuit.com. You can follow Mark on Twitter at MarkLikesMovies. And now, veteran comedy writer, producer, and director Nell Scovell has written a new memoir about her incredible career in American entertainment. Nell Scovell, thank you so much for joining me. So I heard that you have said about your book, Come for the Simpsons, Stay for the Feminism. I think I'm going to steal that line when I promote this show. Oh, great. Now, I really want men to read the book, too. And uh, in fact, my friends who are male who read it, I think, like it even more than the women because it's more eye opening to them while the women write me like I nodded along. I think for men, it's it's a glimpse into a perspective they haven't seen before. I agree. I was nodding along in several parts. But growing up, were you a funny kid? You know, I wasn't a class clown. I was more the wisecracker. And um, I know I made jokes because my third grade teacher told my mother that I made too many jokes in class. And she asked my mother to tell me to tone it down. And my mom delivered the message on my 40th birthday. Oh my God, what a wonderful mom. <laughs> yeah, I know. If, if she had given it to me earlier, it would have been a much shorter book. <laughs> so you're saying that your family enjoyed some good comedy. Yes, they were my everyone. And I, I'm the middle child of five. And that was the best training for being in a writer's room because they were all verbal and funny. And so you had to figure out a way to slide your comment in. And what were you thinking of sort of studying once you got into school? Were you on a comedy writing track? Oh, not at all. I I had no idea that that was actually a profession. I grew up on the East Coast and I thought, well, if you were a smart person, you became a doctor or maybe a lawyer. And it it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s when I bumped into an editor friend on the street. And she said to me, Nell, I don't mean this as an insult, but I think you could write for television. <laughs> and and that was truly the first time um, it occurred to me. But uh, you did sort of start at Spy Magazine, which was a real cultural phenomenon. Well, th- that Spy came first. And Spy was kind of my gateway drug into comedy. Um, I was, at the time, focusing on journalism. And Spy comes along, and it's got that incredible snarky attitude. And I I wish everyone can have that experience in their 20s when you suddenly find yourself surrounded by people who share your sensibility. And already at Spy, you were writing um, a lot of things concerning sort of women and... and... Well, I, I was poking fun at high society back then. That was sort of my beat, was to um, make fun of really rich people, which 
you know, included at the time uh, the Trumps who mm-hmm. uh, spy often attacked. And that's where the phrase short fingered vulgarian came from spy. What were the Trump articles about? Well, the the very first um, cover story of Spy was the 10 most embarrassing New Yorkers and Donald Trump made a list. <laughs> I know. Right. And that's still the case with him, right? Oh, I, yes, I believe he, he embarrasses. <laughs> now, he, now he's scaled it. So he embarrasses us in a global way. You moved on to another cultural phenomenon, um, in a sense, and that's the Gary Shandling Show. Tell me a little bit about that experience. Well, the, the way you break into TV is by writing what they call a spec script, and spec is short for speculative. And And I sat down and wrote an episode of It's Gary Shandling Show, which was kind of, in retrospect, madness, because it was only a cult hit. And I should have written for the most popular show of the time, which was The Cosby Show. But I write this spec script. Um, I did have an agent who sent it to the show. And miraculously, they bought it. But then they didn't produce it. And they hired me to write another script, which they also didn't produce. But they paid me for so it was it was just a classic Hollywood experience because there um, it was just so up and down. In your book, you write a lot about being a woman in the writer's room, which often meant being the only woman in the writer's room. What were some of those experiences like? Well, I tried to blend in. Look, I love the job and I wanted to keep doing it. And I felt like, well, if I don't draw attention to my gender, they'll they'll let me stay. And it wasn't that hard. I had been a sports writer. And so when the talk turned to sports, it didn't put me off. I love science fiction. So when I was in nerdier rooms, I could fit right in uh, to that. Um, And I just tried to keep my head down. What would happen if you didn't keep your head down? You know, there there was an instance in, um, I worked on a show called Coach, starring Craig T. Nelson, who is Mr. Incredible. Mm-hmm. And I would sometimes stand up and say things like, well, a woman wouldn't say that when they had his girlfriend doing things that I thought were not worthy of her. And I would almost always get shouted down. Yeah, yeah. But it was great when I got to Murphy Brown and I was one of four women in the room and no longer had to represent all women uh, to the greater group. That was amazing. You mentioned that um, Gary Shandling once gave you a compliment that um, you write like a guy, which is somewhat of a strange compliment. I mean, it is a compliment, but it's sort of odd, right? It was. I think what he meant by that is I wrote hard jokes you know, I wrote a joke in my script where someone says to him, uh, Gary's in the kitchen um, preparing for a party. And someone says, do you need an extra pair of hands? And he says, that would double my sex life. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, that's kind of a, 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 you know, you're in a guy's head when you write that joke. So I think that's what he meant. But the irony is that Gary's brilliant standoff 
often revolved around him talking about his doomed relationships Mm -hmm. and his insecurity about his looks and his hair. And in retrospect, I think Gary wrote like a girl. (laughs) And I mean that as a compliment. Yeah. But it's funny that, you know, writing hard, because if you fight hard for something as a, or passionately for something as a woman in, in a room like a staff room where I've been as a journalist or anywhere else, then you're a pain in the ass. But if you fight like a, for a guy, then you're very passionate and into your work, right? Oh, absolutely. I There's a chart in my book about where men get to be this full range of emotions and women are reduced to either crazy or difficult. It's frustrating, too, because women get painted as overly emotional. And I've seen men walk into a room after a note session and throw their scripts and scream obscenities. And I sit there and think, you know, anger is an emotion, too. (laughs) You have written one of the most legendary episodes of The Simpsons, which I'm sure everyone has seen. It's the blowfish episode. Um, But tell me first, how did you end up with The Simpsons? So I watched the premiere like um, on TV at my home in uh, LA. And I did something I've never done before or since, which was I called my agent at home and said, I want to write on this show. Now, the, The Simpsons wasn't an instant classic. I mean, it's hard to believe because now it's 32 years in and such a deep part of the global culture. But at the time, it was just kind of this weird, garish cartoon. And um, the pitch of Homer eats blowfish and thinks he's going to die and what you would do for your last 24 hours on Earth really was about exploring his character because we didn't know it that well. And it gave the writers a chance to establish who he was at work and what his relationship is with his father. And in fact, you know, the tamest jokes are the ones that end up on screen. And I talk about um, one joke that was pitched in the room that I loved, where Grandpa Simpson says, uh, they say the greatest tragedy is to outlive your children, but actually it's not that bad, (laughs) which was so harsh. Um, that we didn't use it, but it always it, that still makes me laugh. Why didn't you continue with The Simpsons? Well, even though um, my freelance episode went uh, quite smoothly, they did not offer me a staff job. And, um, you know, I don't know for sure, but I do think gender had something to do with it. They didn't have another woman write an episode for five whole seasons. So it, it was over 100 episodes later that another female writer uh, was allowed in that room. That uh, doesn't seem like much of a conspiracy theory if it takes five seasons. I know. The data doesn't look good for them. <laughs> so you also worked for Letterman for some years, but... After, in 2009, you kind of started the cultural conversation that we've been having now. You wrote a magazine article for Vanity Fair. Well, he admitted on air to having sex with women he worked with. And that that was the catalyst for jumping in. But also that in 2009, Letterman didn't have any female staffers. Leno didn't have any female staffers. And Conan didn't have any female staffers. Um, 
What reactions did you get to this article? Well, um, from women, it was it was astonishing and wonderful, and and I got a flood of emails thanking me for speaking out and women sharing their own stories, um, and so I was really happy to see that you know often in the specific we find the universal. Uh, that if something's happening to you, it's probably happening to someone else. Uh, so that was great. And look, there, nothing I said in that article for Vanity Fair has ever been disputed. So that was great. And within six months, all three of those shows had hired a female writer. Right. Um, so that was that was really wonderful. Because Letterman did actually uh, learn a thing or two, it seems. Well, he, he's got a new Netflix show, and I just noticed that of executive producers, there's not a single woman. Okay, and, I take uh, that back. <laughs> yeah, take it back. <laughs> <laughs> now, look, everyone says the right things. Nobody comes out and says, yeah, we're sexist. Yeah, we're racist. That's why we don't have women and people of color working on our shows or at high levels on our staff. But the trick is moving from awareness to action. And too often, awareness leads to defensiveness, which is a dead end. So I, I hope one of the things that Just the Funny Parts does is move us past that defensiveness to a place where people are making changes and hiring women and hiring people of color. And you have made a huge difference today on talk shows. I understand that staffs for Kimmel, for John Oliver, they've contacted you about, you know, putting them together with um, really good female writers and funny women. And you found a whole bunch of writers for the shows on right now. Yes. Well, it's I don't the, the women get the jobs on their own talent. But I, I do have a little uh side business running where um, I recommend writers to those shows. You know, one of the excuses for not hiring women was always, you know, we looked, but we couldn't find any. And the talent is out there. And if I can help move that talent into a position where they can get hired, um, it's really gratifying. Um Finally, you have also you've written for everybody, but but you've also written for President Obama. And but I wanted to know a little bit in the age of the sort of pussy grabbing stormy <laughs> president that we have now. What is it like to write humor in sort of talk show that type of humor today? Well, I think we need laughter more than ever. <laughs> um, and. It is a great way to deflate egos through humor. I was on Colbert last night and he um, read a few jokes I'd written in Trump's voice because um, I've been asked a number of times if I would ever write for him. Um, and the answer is no. But I was curious if I could write for him. Um, so I tried to get inside his head, which was quite roomy. Um, <laughs> And and I wrote a bunch of jokes in Trump's voice, if you want to look those up. Uh, but it's also why I, I do hope people will buy and read just the funny parts, because it um, deals with these issues. But I hope in a funny way, in a way that unites us through laughter, 
um, and sees both the dark side and the light side of all these issues. And, and it really does. Oh, so, thank you. Now, thank you so much for taking your time with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, this is so much fun. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Nell Scovell. Her new book, which is out now, is called Just the Funny Parts. And thank you so much for joining us this week on Pop Culture Confidential. You can follow the show on Twitter at PodPopCulture and Instagram, PopCultureConfidential. Make sure to join us next week, only on Spotify. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard note.